of a leader, part two. I personally recall vividly on more than one occasion the words of Mr. Courtney Laws ringing in my ears whenever he was being threatened by funders, including the local council, a withdrawal of his funding for his community projects. They can do what they like. We will still be here. Our spirit is strong and we will go on. I will do it my way. And his way he did. Hello and welcome back to My Dad, Mr. Brixton. I'm your host, Claudette Parry-Laws, here to share with you an untold story of modern black British history. A story about community and public service and the challenges to black ambition in the post-Windrush era and the success that can be achieved in the most dire of circumstances. It's a story that I watched unfold while I was a child, but I didn't realise the significance of it at the time. But then I got a bit older and I was able to observe my father's commitment to the community through a more mature lens. And now looking back, the full picture is coming into view. Full disclosure, I'm not a writer or a journalist, but I am someone fully aware that so many of our stories, our history, are missing from the public record. People who have never spoken publicly before about my dad will be sharing their memories and observations with me as I investigate his life and the circumstances leading up to his death. Through my dad's story, you'll get a chance to explore an underreported aspect of the British black experience from the perspective of one man navigating the challenges of post-war Britain in an effort to uplift his community and his journey through four decades of the trials and tribulations of the South London neighborhood of Brixton. This is the story of Courtney Laws. Courtney Laws set standards for all of us. He would not accept second best. This is the voice of Herman Oosley, ex-chief executive of Lambeth Council and a recent member of the House of Lords, speaking at my father's funeral. He was fed up with the authorities who always wanted black people to have poorer education, lower-graded training, low-paid jobs, second-rate buildings for their community projects, higher unemployment and substandard housing. He was a man of high standards, principles, courage, integrity and dignity. In other words, he was a man of the people. On the morning of August 6, 1996, Jamaica's Independence Day, my family and I were getting ready to give my dad the send-off that he deserved. But we weren't alone. Behind closed doors along the residential streets that surrounded the bustling commercial centre of Brixton, people young and old and predominantly African-Caribbean were preparing to say their final goodbyes to a pioneering black leader. The family of Courtney Laws Obihi, who died this week, say they're already receiving overwhelming support from the Brixton community. 
Mr. Laws, who founded the Brixton Neighbourhood Community Association, died on Monday after collapsing in Railton Road. One of his daughters, Claudette, says the family is welcoming well-wishers who want to pay their respects. The luncheon club, um, is, which is situated on Relton Road, um, if anybody wants to come and pay their respects to Dad, then the door is open. On the day of his funeral, hundreds of people had come out to pay their respects. Some even closed their businesses for the day. My brother and sister walked slowly in front of the funeral procession, watched by people who'd lined the streets that Dad had walked almost every day as he took his final journey through Brixton. This would be the last time that Dad would be in his familiar manner, flanked by the community he served, passing by the centres and initiatives he'd established that supported the black people he championed. As you all know, Corby came to this country at a time when many were moving from the Caribbean to the United Kingdom. Take advantage of opportunities. This is the voice of Derek Heaven who was the Jamaica High Commissioner at the time of my father's death. At the time when we came, there were problems. And Courtney Laws organized the community and allowed for those of us who are here today to enjoy certain freedoms and certain things which might not have been possible, but for the activity foresight and vision of people like Courtney Laws. I remember how packed the church was. People were standing where they couldn't sit. There were crowds gathered outside. As my dad's coffin arrived at the church, the West Indian ex-serviceman, dressed head to toe in uniform, was standing to attention, waiting to greet him. They gave him a military salute. He was a pioneer of self-help programs to meet the social, cultural and economic needs of the minority ethnic communities that the authorities were failing to meet. Courtney was a person who always was ahead of his time. You might be thinking, just a quick Google search and you'll be able to find out all you need to know about my dad and why his life and the circumstances around his death matter. But you won't find his story on the internet. When you Google my dad's name, you'll likely only see references to the famous British rugby player Courtney Laws, born in 1989, not the Brixton community leader Courtney Laws, born 58 years earlier, in 1931. His story and contribution to the British black experience lives predominantly in hidden archive material or the memories of people 
who were around at the time. But 25 years after his death, many people that knew him have passed away, and I worry that the memories of those who can still provide testimony will soon begin to fade, and yet another slice of our story will be left on the cutting room floor of history. My name's Rob Waters, and I'm a lecturer in modern British history at Queen Mary University of London. The first time that I became aware of Courtney Laws was reading a, an article in a journal called Flamingo, um, which is a journal that was published by a Dominican man called Edward Scobie. Uh, and in 1964, there's an article um, called What's Wrong with Brixton? And it's by a guy called Eric McAlpine. And he says in it, you know, there's a lot of uh, black community workers in Brixton who think it's a bellyache. He says it's a a bellyache. It's a frustrating place because whatever you do, none of the problems that we're confronting ever seem fixable. And also a lot of people who should be community leaders are leaving Brixton. As soon as they have the money, they get out because why do they want to be in a dilapidated, rundown part of the city? And one of the people he interviews is Courtney Laws. And he says, you know, there are nonetheless some people who have kind of stayed the course in Brixton and who have dedicated themselves to community work in the neighbourhood. And one of them is Courtney Laws. We rarely hear about those community activists who sought to kind of transform it, particularly in the the 50s and 60s, which is when Courtney Laws was starting out. This is the voice of Gloria Cameron, MBE, celebrated community worker and activist. On his arrival in England, he was confronted with the difficulties that faced all West Indians a society unwilling to accommodate strangers, unwilling to provide housing accommodation, with few jobs that provided upward mobility, with little acceptance at the workplace and in the communities in which they lived, with no structured organizations in which they could turn. You have to remember that back then it wasn't easy. We're talking about 1950s Britain when Dad started out. And at that time, there wasn't even a Race Relations Act. There were no rules protecting people of colour. It was a million miles away from what we are experiencing today. Courtney immediately took up the mantle of mentor and protector. From the age of 25, unbeknown to him, Courtney Laws would go on to develop and establish several pivotal organisations and initiatives. Dad was determined to address the needs of every aspect relating to the lives of those who had left the Caribbean and settled in Brixton. And he set out to support people of every age in the community, paying close attention to every challenge that they faced. He did this with his team from his headquarters, the centre of his operation, the Brixton Neighbourhood Community Association in the heart of Brixton, which as it developed, evolved to become the largest voluntary organisation run by black people for black people at one point in its history. I spoke to Olga Bogle-Carnegie, 
who was his personal assistant for 30 years. He, at that stage, was quite forward-thinking because the word holistic wasn't banded around so much as it is now, but he thought holistically. He said, I work with people from the womb to the tomb, and that was his holistic balance. That was how he looked at it. He would work for free or sometimes... When he first started getting paid, I think some of that was ploughed back into the organisation to, to, to fund other things that the council at that time said weren't needed. I have had the opportunity of visiting the centre, as it is called, on many occasions. And one of the things which would strike you when you go there and you witness the way in which Courtney operated, the compassion and the caring for the dispossessed, the infirm, the old. It's something which I think speaks to the type of individual he was. Here is Professor Gus John, academic, researcher and social commentator who knew Courtney for 30 years. His ability to, to, to relate to and engage with, you know, ordinary suffering people and, and to use the skills and talents and abilities to make things better for them. And, you know, that's, that's one thing that, that, that Courtney continued to represent and to do throughout his life, really. My name is Ross Griffiths, community organiser. Um, he was a big character. Everyone knew Courtney uh, because he was about the, the, the empowerment and the betterment of black people. Your father was the real deal. You know, if you wanted anything done, you went to Courtney. He was the, the general and um, he walked tall, he walked like a champion, but he always had a fight. There was always a fight. As he made 10 steps forward, there's a, a fight because, you know, he was about his community. I think at the time, people didn't really understand the complexities of what he had to deal with. He was a pioneer, paving the way. Nobody achieved what your father did. Let's not forget that. To this day, he did it as some, an, an immigrant. <laughs> you with me? He came from his island, and had the passion, the drive to do so for his community. He spoke with conviction and clarity. That's when you're quoting uh, um, his speech. That's how it sounds. It's all coming back. It sounds like uh, modern day Shakespeare would have said. <laughs> Not Shakespeare, Shakespeare. <laughs> so, because he got to put in the whole um, Jamaican vibe in there. Yeah. I would go as far as saying that he was the Prime Minister of Brixton because I don't know any other name that was called as much as Mr Laws. Courtney Laws was one of the godfathers of our, our community. So therefore, his reputation, his name, uh, preceded my meeting him. You are listening to the voice of political and cultural activist Ansel Wong, who launched the celebration of Black History Month in the UK and is currently chair of Britain's Black Cultural Archives. 
when I got involved in 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 Brixton as a, as a youth worker and as a, as a political activist, um, there were very few individuals who had the prominence of uh, of their presence or the prominence in terms of their activities uh, that Courtney had. So I'm trying to to think if anybody else was, was, was on, on par with him. And I can't think of anybody that had that status in our understanding, but in terms of the importance and the recognition and the profiling of the individual within the, the Brixton Black community, I can't, I'll be struggling to think of anybody else that has done so. But it wasn't just what Dad did that gave him that prominence and that status that Ansel referred to. It was also how he did it. Yes, he had lyrical ingenuity, but it was also how he presented himself to the world, how he carried himself as an example to others, to potential future black leaders. His personal qualities commanded and earned respect from his staff, his friends, his contemporaries, and even his opponents. He showed everyone how to be courteous at all times. He was the perfect gentleman. He was immaculately turned out at all times, and I mean at all times, in all weathers and in all seasons. Those shiny shoes, the smart suits, elegant shirts and ties. Dad's organisations and his standing in the community came from his grassroots work. But to maximise support for the people benefiting from those initiatives, he would be encouraged to join local advisory boards and race relations councils to try and affect change from the top down. He was able to bring to the table a community perspective to the work of many of the statutory and national agencies. Courtney was involved with the National Council for Commonwealth Immigrants in the 1960s. He was known as a fighter for change, but he was never called aggressive. That's a label often wrongly attached to those who became frustrated with the slow rate of change for racial justice. Well, in 1976, the Race Relations Act was passed and the Commission for Racial Equality was created. Courtney Laws was among the first batch of commissioners who were appointed. Such was his status and esteem that he was entrusted with the responsibilities for the Commission's work in London. Dad's high standards meant that as well as encouraging the people in his community to be the best they could be, he also pushed his organisations to provide the best they could offer to the community. And Dad's work, even though not widely known now, attracted the attention of influential people here in the UK and abroad who were keen to understand Dad's sprawling grassroots initiatives and that attracted attention on the world stage. During the 1970s and 80s, anyone looking at the issues of race and community development always contacted the Brixton Neighbourhood Community Association. In that respect, Courtney Laws was legendary. And the BNCA, as it was affectionately known, was always on the itinerary of the good and the great whenever they visited Britain. The Home Office and the Foreign Office always relied on Mr Laws and the BNCA. From presidents and prime ministers to royalty, they were among the celebrities who enjoyed his and the BNCA's hospitality. I remember as a child having to present a bouquet of flowers to the wife of the ex-prime minister of England, Harold Wilson. I also remember presenting a bouquet to the Queen Mother 
when she opened up my dad's West Indian Senior Citizens Building on Relton Road. But the highlight of my youth was meeting David Bowie, who funded an additional centre supporting what my dad was trying to achieve in Brixton back in the 80s. The Bowie maniacs waited patiently outside the gleaming new Carlton Hall Community Centre. Bowie put up £150,000 of his own cash for the centre, proving at heart he's still a Brixton lad. Director of the centre, Courtney Laws, says having Bowie as a mentor's put Brixton on the map. That moment signalled a fateful turning point for Courtney Laws and his organisations. And that centre, affectionately called the Bowie Centre, would be the last of his Brixton initiatives. I personally recall vividly on more than one occasion the words of Mr Courtney Laws ringing in my ears whenever he was being threatened by funders, including the local council, a withdrawal of his funding for his community projects. They can do what they like. We will still be here. Our spirit is strong and we will go on. I will do it my way. And his way he did. Always doing his own thing uncompromisingly. By the mid-1990s, Dad was under pressure. His vision, his dreams, for how he would help shape Brixton going forward were under threat. And many in the community he served for over 40 years were turning against him. He was struggling to keep his organisations afloat as Lambeth Council had cut his funding, following his arrest without charges, and as the community were fed a daily diet of media headlines filled with allegations. But he was still desperately trying to keep them going, to live out his dream of providing a full service agency for the needs of black people in Brixton. And this morning as I reflected at home on what should I say about Courtney Laws? I was minded, and I'm going to be very frank, I was minded of a passage in the Bible, which is carried both in St. Matthew and St. Mark, I think, which spoke to Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. When he was entering Jerusalem, and the throng shouted Hosanna and laid palm trees in the way, palm leaves welcoming him. And not very long after, those same people were saying crucified. And I urge you to stop and reflect. I would ask us not to allow ourselves to become part of any sort of conspiracy, any sort of plan to destroy the fantastic work that this man has done. If this was a conspiracy, it was a successful one because Daddy's no longer here and his organisations are long gone. After all the work and studious efforts to bring about positive change for a community and its people, to shine a light on issues facing black people at the time, the tables had now turned on Dad. The shining light was now on him. Dad had spent his life fighting for the people in the community. 
And now he was having to fight for his own survival within the very community he served and tried to protect. Like I said, I've got questions. You have been listening to My Dad, Mr Brixton, and I have been your host, Claudette Harry-Laws. Everything you've heard so far has been difficult for me to report, but this series is an investigation, and I'm going to start right at the beginning. Tune in next week Thursday for episode three, as I try and understand how the young Courtney Laws raised in Jamaica would eventually become a leading figure in Britain's black community. My Dad, Mr. Brixton was written and produced by me, edited and mixed by D-Night's Music, and visuals were produced by This Is Pirate. Special thanks to Ruby Laws, Matthew Parry, Luke and Abby Flight, Alex Horlick, Craig and Donna McLean, Sharon Elliott, Cleo Little, Ian Bailey, Clive and Carol Laws, Bella Tallison, Marcy Bogle, Con Francis, Olga Carnegie, Chantal Burns, Lauren Kinchesh, Jane Dickens, Hilary Robertson, Anna Williams, Ty Hannock, Asra Zakir, Elias and Kamani Parry, and Dewan and Sarah Buck from Contingent Works, Black Cultural Archives, and Lambeth Libraries, and every person who agreed to be interviewed, and all my family and friends who have supported me.